Okay, let's um, just bow hearts as we turn to God's word together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace. We thank you for giving us your word. Lord, that you've given us this wonderful textbook for life. But Father, it's far more than that because as your word says of itself, it is living and powerful. And Father, how we need a guide, how we need instruction. And Lord, how we need direction. And so Father, as we continue this, this journey, this study this morning, Lord, once again, just open our, our eyes spiritually, we pray, to behold wondrous things from your law. Father, give us ears that will hear, and Lord, hearts that are ready to receive. Father, we are mindful, as your word tells us, that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Oh, Lord, we pray that be not us today. Lord, may we be here, Lord, in tune with your Spirit, Lord, just wanting to know and learn and grow. So we just give you this time. Speak to us, we pray. And uh, Lord, just move us another step forward in our walk and our journey with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going through Psalm 119. Uh, for anybody visiting us, just to give us a, a little bit of a... We've, over the last few years as a fellowship, uh, we've gone through various books, and my normal way of teaching is to stand up. We have PowerPoint and slides and notes and all sorts of charts and diagrams, and all those things are helpful. And we've just gone through a, a journey through the book of Revelation, which is always a blessing. But, you know, sometimes we can get into lots of details, charts and maps and everything else, and how it all fits together. And sometimes we need to just step back and just get alone with God's word. And that's what we're trying to do here. Psalm 119 is a really wonderful psalm. It, it's, it is the longest psalm. It's the, considered the longest chapter in the Bible. Um, but it really is quite incredible. It's given as an aid to learning. Not just from the author's perspective, who we believe was probably David anyway, um, but from the Holy Spirit's perspective. Every block of eight verses begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, starting with Aleph, the first eight verses. Every In the Hebrew, every line, every verse begins with the letter, what we would have as an A, but an Aleph in the, in the Hebrew. The next eight verses all begin with the letter Bet, or B for us, and so on. Well, we're up to the third section this morning, uh, and we've gone through, uh, just to to recap as well, the opening four verses state, in a sense, the the standard. A little bit like the Ten Commandments do, or a little bit like the Sermon on the Mount, we see God's perfect standard, an unattainable standard that's set. But then the next four verses to to finish the opening block of eight, it's really that, that hope that one day we will be transformed into the likeness of our Saviour. The, there's a lot of thens and when and I will and you know looking forward. And of course we have this great hope that we will one day be delivered from the presence of sin that we currently have to endure and live in. But of course this is all part of God's design and plan. So the question is, you know, we know we are going to be perfected. Christ has already paid and done the work and this work of sanctification is, is now ongoing in us. But... It's the how do we get there? How do we live our lives? The New Testament tells us that we should walk by faith and not by sight. But if you're like me, that's not always as easy to say, to do as it is to say. Yeah, because there's lots of challenges that life throws at us. So this is what we're trying to understand and learn as we go through these things. Let's just uh, look at these verses then again that we're going to be studying this morning. So picking up verse 17. And we're just going to take a little bit of time, we're going to go through and look at them in detail. I just want to read a quote from, from Spurgeon in regard to this section. He says, in this section, the trials of the way appear to be manifest to the psalmist's mind. I just, just, let me stop there, because isn't it comforting that we've got something here 
that doesn't just give you the glossy coated how it's supposed to be and why aren't you doing this. It, th- this is the psalmist going, you know what, I'm struggling. In my walk with God, I'm struggling at the moment. I'm, I'm having this problem or that problem and we're going to see it face to face. And this is one of the things I love about this psalm. It's just so real. It's just, it's where we are in our lives. You know, we have that lovely, you know, you come to church on a Sunday morning and somebody says, how are you? And everybody says, I'm fine. And you're lying straight away because we're not all fine. There's things going on. And, you know, we need to, as a, a body of believers, sometimes let those guards down. And as we were singing earlier, let our one defense be Jesus. Not try and defend ourselves. Let me carry on a Spurgeon's quote. Let me start again. In this section, the trials of the way appear to be manifest in the psalmist's mind. Then he prays accordingly for the help which will meet his case. As in the last eight verses he prayed, as a youth newly come into the world, so here he pleads as a servant and a pilgrim, who growingly finds himself to be a stranger in an enemy's country. His appeal is to God alone, and his prayer especially direct and personal. He speaks with the Lord as a man speaks with his friend. Now isn't it lovely that we can have that privilege, that we can speak to God as we would speak to a friend. That God has given us that privilege. So let's let's go through these verses and see what uh, what we can learn. And, and let me just again encourage you. You know, it doesn't matter when you start or whether you have already started. Just take one verse of Psalm 119 a day and read it and meditate on it for that day. And the next day, go on to the next verse. And just keep going through. And if you miss a day, don't worry. Just pick up the next day, pick up the next verse. But just allow the Lord to speak to you because there is so much here to instruct us. Now, the first thing we get, verse 17, uh, we read there, Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Now notice, first of all, the request that's given here. It's that I might live. That, that's what the psalmist is asking. It's deal bountifully. It's not just I want blessing. It's deal bountifully. You know, it's, it's kind of that I may live. In a sense, be alive with reason and a purpose for living. And notice, and keep thy word. You see, God's word is the the greatest gift to mankind. It's the greatest reason to live our lives. It's the highest purpose in the sense which we can attain in this life. And of course, we're speaking here of both the written word and the word incarnate, Jesus Christ. Keeping his word, as it puts it here, means seeking him. It means learning from him, heeding him, living a life, walking by faith in him. You know, if we're not living for God, we're not really living we're just merely existing and, and treading water until, as it were, the hourglass of our time here on earth runs out. Nothing in eternity is going to matter more than that we have kept and shown respect. That's an idea that's already come out of this. Back in verse 6, it speaks there of having respect unto thy commandments. It's not just knowing them. It's not just learning them, having head knowledge. It's actually showing that we really value them. You know, just consider for a moment, the humiliation and embarrassment for those who are one day going to get to stand before God who have not regarded God's word. You know, how destitute are they going to be on that day? You know, the souls of those who've rejected and lived in antagonism towards this book of truth. You know, what a privilege for us that we can believe God's word, the whole of God's word. We don't have to take bits out that we don't think are you know palatable or don't fit into the culture today or 
You know, we've got God's word. It's God's revelation. It's one of the greatest things that we can understand that this isn't just a, a book. This isn't just writing or religious, you know, substance, but this is God's word himself, a God who is outside of time. So what a privilege. But again, the, the, the request is, deal badly that I may live and keep thy word. You know, just wanting to be alive, to have every faculty, every part of our being set apart for God and for his word. Now I think that there's a, a fear that's, that's underlying this. Because the flip side of this, if God doesn't deal bountifully with us, if the Lord allows struggle and problems and difficulties in our life, what then? Would we come to a place where we question God's word? Well certainly for many that's the case, isn't it? You know, a lot of Christians go along very fine in their, in their walk, and then suddenly they hit a kind of a brick wall, some personal, emotional, physical problem, whatever. And then, why does God allow this? And they start questioning God's word. And the moment that happens, it gives the devil a real foothold. Solomon made this um, uh, statement in Proverbs 30, uh, verses 8 to 9. He says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Solomon says this, so Don't let me be really wealthy and don't let me be poor. Don't let me be in either of those extremes, because in either one of those there's danger. Just give me enough that I'm content that I have what I need. You know, we've all experienced on a, a sunny day, I guess, how you wake up, you, you can pull back the curtains, the sun's shining, and you just feel better, don't you? There's something about a sunny day. Um, and, you know, and sometimes those days can help us to feel closer to God as well. But I don't think in this verse it's just requests for external blessings. But it's that we would know God's bountiful provision in every area of our lives. And, and we've already seen in verse 1 that that blessing will only come if we're separated to God, if we're undefiled in the way, if we're walking in the way. So, really, there's a double request. It's deal bountifully with thy servant. That's the first part of the request that I may live. That's the, the part of that. But that I may keep thy word, because that's the other part of this. We need God's help to keep his word. And we're familiar, of course, with those many scriptures that speak of God's blessing and provision for us. Psalm 102. Let's just turn there for a moment, just a few pages back from where you are. And we're going to read, sorry, Psalm 103, apologies, Psalm 103 and verses 2 to 5. Let's read that together. We just read, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What a, just add on its own. You know, is that we should be blessing God. We're asking God for his blessing, but we should be blessing God and forget not his benefits. Who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. You know, the problem is we've got this kind of reoccurring amnesia, in a sense, in in a spiritual sense, because it's so often that we do forget the blessings that God has given us. It's highlighted again, let me just read to you a verse from Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 32. There it just says, Can a maid forget her ornaments, or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Now God's speaking there of the nation of Israel. And despite all the blessings that God had given that nation, 
they'd gone off into idolatry and all sorts of other things that had led them from God. They'd forgotten the blessings. Spurgeon makes a comment in regard to communion. We celebrated communion this morning, but just meditating really on that verse in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, where we read, this do in remembrance of me. And Spurgeon says, it seems then that Christians may forget Christ. There could be no need for this loving exhortation if there were not a fearful supposition that our memories might prove treacherous. And he says, nor is this a bare supposition. It is, alas, too well confirmed in our experience. Not as a possibility, but as a lamentable fact. You know, how often we can go through our our weeks and we forget Jesus. You know, we forget that he's our saviour. We forget that he gave his life for us and he's called us to follow him, to lay down our own lives in a sense, to take up our cross and follow him daily. I just want to read to you a verse from Psalm 116 also. It just says, and Psalm 116 is a kind of a song of uh, experience, probably again from, from David's pen, but it just we read there, The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with thee. It seems to be kind of the the answer to this. In Psalm 119 here, verse 17, the, the prayer is, please Lord deal bountifully. Psalm 116 seems to be that confirmation that the Lord has dealt bountifully. And of course we know that God deals bountifully with us in all sorts of ways. But you know, the, the reality, we need to see it in our lives. We need to experience and know it. Because otherwise, that danger is that we can wander off, that we can forget all of God's blessings. We then move on, verse 18. Open thou my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. So really it's just carrying on the same things. It's looking for more blessings of the Lord. And this is probably one of the greatest blessings that we can seek, that we be stirred and excited by his word. I was listening this morning to a teaching session from the uh, Carriage Chapel Pastors Conference in America, which was back in July. And they were just talking about the way people, um, preachers, teachers, present and teach things. And it's just so often you get to these anecdotes and the the, pe- the person speaking, preaching, gets very excited. And then it gets to God's word, the text again, and it gets very dour and monotone again. And he says, all that tells people is that your life's exciting, but the word of God's a bit dull and boring. Of course, it's not that way. The word of God is exciting. And the psalmist here says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You know, there are some wonderful things in God's law, in God's word. Things that stagger you. And maybe sometimes we get to the place where we've discovered a number of things and we get comfortable and we tend not to go on. But do you remember, uh, Probably, I think most of you here are familiar. I remember Dr. David Roosevelt speaking down in Deal some years ago and just taking us through Genesis 5 and the list of names that are there. And those names that just ordinarily you'd read over and wouldn't pay much heed to, and then you look at the Hebrew meanings of those names and you realise it tells the gospel story. And do you remember how you felt when you first discovered that? That kind of like, wow! Or maybe when you read the, the book of Ruth and you started to see all those types and those models. Do you remember how you felt? You know, maybe one day you were at home reading the Bible yourself and something just stuck out to you and you just wanted to ring somebody. And you probably didn't because you thought they'd think you're mad. But, you know, we should be able to share those things with each other. Even now, Dad and I, often we catch up once every week or so. And so often we'll say, oh, I was studying this and I found, and we share it with each other. And we're just like, oh, wow, that's brilliant. 
and then we kind of nick each other's bits and share and you know but that's great we should be growing together but we should be excited about God's word I remember being at a conference down here uh, back in uh, 2003 one of the fact conferences some of you will have remembered those uh, David was speaking and uh, Chuck Mizzle was here and Dave Hunt and others I remember Chuck using this phrase that he often used to use saying that the Bible is an integrated message system from outside our time domain. I remember thinking, wow. I remember thinking, what does that mean? But actually, it blew me away as I started to think about that. That the Bible is an integrated message. Every book, every chapter, every letter is there by deliberate supernatural design. God has designed this and given it to us. To reveal himself to us, to reveal ourselves to ourselves. Because the book of, the word of God is like a mirror. We look into it and we see ourselves as we really are. There's no hiding, there's no pretense. But the things in God's word are breathtaking. And as you discover that it's true. And I know as believers we, we, we kind of, in a sense, take that for granted. But when you come across something and you discover the truth of it. You know, and we live in an age where science, proper science so often we'll come up with something that vindicates, that, that proves the things that we read in Scripture. You know, we should be excited. But we need again that prayer. Because the natural mind, as we said earlier, the natural mind doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. It's foolishness. Well, of course, the Word of God is indeed of the Spirit of God. So we need to have that spiritual eyesight. So again, open mine eyes that I may behold. They're there. The wondrous things are there to behold, but we need our eyes open. And I just think it's a kind of a sad thing in a sense that so many people don't ever get beyond just reading the odd bit of the Bible. You know, people don't get to that stage where they really fall in love with Scripture and see it for what it really is. I mean, every page, I mean, it begins Genesis 1-1 and concludes Revelation 22 verse 21. And every page reveals more of God's plan and purpose and ultimately it reveals Jesus, doesn't it? The living word of God. I mean, you, you really could spend a whole lifetime studying the Bible and meditation and so on and, and never come close to exhausting the wondrous things in his law. I was listening to somebody interviewing Joe Foch recently, pastor of Carver Chapel, Philadelphia, and they asked him about, you know, the Bible and preparing to teach and everything else. And they're saying, you know, do you still find you get excited about things? And when you're preparing or it becomes such a routine thing, he said, no, no. He said, every time I sit down, it's just me and the Bible. He said, I'm amazed. He said, it may be a passage that I thought I understood. I taught a number of times and I suddenly go down and I look at it and God will show me something I'd never seen before. And isn't that the wonder of the Bible? It's inexhaustible. You'll never come to that place where you've fully understood it or, you know, it's not like another book that you've read it, that's it, you know it now, you can put it down. But not also, that it's not just a, a prayer to excite us in regard to God's word, it's also a plea to keep us focused on the world, on the word, so that we're not drawn away by the world, the flesh and the devil. You know, there really is so much around to distract us. And I think that this prayer, as much as being one to open our eyes that we see those things, there's a purpose behind that. And it's so that we are so set apart and focused on things of God that we don't want to or don't have time to look at the things of the world. We, we read this quote from William MacDonald last week. He said, The surest way to abstain from evil is to be completely occupied with doing good. Well, that's good advice. You know, just fill your life with things of God. That's why I'm encouraging you just to read however much else you read. And I'd encourage you again, as I said before, read through the Bible in a year if you can. It's such a great exercise to do. 
But also, just take a verse and meditate on it and let God speak to you. And if you feel distracted by the world, tempted in whatever way, just come back to that verse and see what God has to say to you from that verse. You know, the old adage goes that the devil makes work for idle hands. And I mean, that may be true, but, you know, certainly in regard spiritually, if we don't exercise our minds towards godly things, we're very quickly going to find ourselves given over to unholy things. As one commentator put it, Lord, turn up the volume of your grace in my life that it drowns out everything that is not of you. I like that. I just want to hear so much of God that I don't hear anything of the world. Another quote from Spurgeon, he said, David felt sure that there were glorious things in the law. He had not half the Bible, but he prized it more than some men prized the whole. He felt that God had laid up great bounties in his word, and he begs for power to perceive, appreciate, and enjoy the same. He says, we need not so much that God should give us more benefits as the ability to see what he has given. I'm sure that's uh, very true. Let's go on to verse 19. He says, I'm a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. And by the way, there is a, a theme that's developing here. And, and it's one almost of despondency under the surface. You know, it's starting with that, please, Lord, deal bountifully so that I can live and keep your word. Please open my eyes because I want to see wondrous things because I recognize that I am a stranger in the earth. So don't hide your commandments from me. Again, another quote of Spurs, he says, By divine command, men are bound to be kind to strangers. And what God commands in others, he will exemplify in himself. Again, the idea here is that God has said in his word that we should show benevolence to strangers, kindness toward them. And so that on the basis of that, this plea is, Lord, I'm a stranger, so please don't hide your commandments from me. And you know, as I was studying this, it made me just think of those words of Peter's when... Jesus asked him that question in John chapter 6 about, are you going to leave? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, that's where we're at. I pray for this morning that that's where you are in your, your life and your walk, that actually you've, going to, you've burned the bridges with the world. You don't want to be part of this world. You've been born again. You've been saved. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus. We've been promised a wonderful eternal home. So we've got nothing here. Lord, to whom shall we go? We have nothing else. You know, as each day passes, we realize more and more, what don't we, that this world is really not our home. I don't know about you, but I, I, I feel like I, I don't fit in. I don't belong. You know, I, I end up listening and overhearing conversations that I have no desire to be part of. I see people on, on the train, on the tube, laughing and joking about things that I really have no desire to know about. You know, we see a world around us that, that cares nothing for God or the ways of God. We see a world around us that continually blasphemes that name that we hold most dear, the precious name of Jesus. And the world just treats it as a casual swear word. You know, I am a stranger here. And so that plea again, please Lord, don't hide your commandments from me. Just a couple of verses though, speaking about our place here. I mean, Philippians 3.20, you're familiar with, I'm sure, but where Paul says there to the Philippians, for our citizenship, it's in heaven. That's where our passport is stamped, as it were. Yes, we have, in a sense, dual citizenship, but really, we belong to heaven. 
For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when Paul writes a lot of his letters, he begins them not by saying his address, but Paul, and he says, in Christ. That's where Paul is, that's his address. John twelve twenty five says, He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. Again, this world, we shouldn't want or, or love this world. I mean, John 2, again, is another one. Yeah, don't love the world or the things of the world. The things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life. You know, all of those things, they're all passing away. John seventeen fourteen says, Jesus speaking, he says, in his prayer to his father, to our God, he says, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. A little bit earlier in John 15, Jesus had said to the disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. You know, I think there's also there's an acknowledgement here that we are close to the edge. Because we are, as it were, like a, a stranger in Babylon. You know, just, just turn with me, if you will, just to the book of Daniel. Because I just think it's very interesting just to look at this young, probably 14-year-old or around about that age, young boy, who's taken away from his family, a godly family. We can deduce that from his name, being Daniel. God is my judge. Daniel chapter 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with a part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spoke to Ashenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed, and of the princes. Now, that tells you that Daniel is of some nobility within Israel, because he's one of those that are taken. And it says, Children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as has the ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. See, the reason they were taking these people was to indoctrinate them. We, we have a very similar program today. We call them universities. And young children are taken away from their home, just as Daniel was. And they are taken to the University of Babylon, as a, effectively. And, you know, we're all, in, the sen- in a sense, in the same boat. That we're so frequently indoctrinated in the ideas, in the, the language, the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And notice, verse 5, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. So, nourishing them three years, that at the end of thereof they might stand before the king. Now, among them were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It's just a little bugbear of mine. If you're going to talk about these individuals, use those names, because those are the names that glorify God. The other names they were given... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we read in verse 7. Those names were named to reflect the gods of Babylon. Verse 8, I love this. But Daniel realized that no one was watching, and nobody cared anymore. So he decided to eat his full, to enjoy every party he could go. No, it doesn't say that, does it? 
But you know, a lot of people, given that situation, that scenario, nobody was watching, nobody cared. They're now part of this kind of special group that the king is training up to be his advisors, and they're given everything that they could think of, everything they wanted. But we read, and I love this, one of the greatest statements in the Bible, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. It goes on, you know the account, you can read it in your own time, and I encourage you to do so. But, you know, I, I just love that mindset of David. Daniel equally could have prayed this prayer, Lord, I'm, I'm a stranger in the earth, I'm a stranger in Babylon, please don't hide your commandments from me. Because we again recognize how close we are to the edge, how close we are to getting to that place where we think, oh, it's just too much, I'm going to give up. I might as well just go along with the crowd, go along with the flow. It would have been so easy for Daniel to have done that, and it is so easy for us to do that. That's why this is not just a prayer that God hides not his commandments, but we need God's word in our life. We saw previously in the previous study, your word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And in verse 9 again, how can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed there to according to your word. So this plead, again, Lord, don't let your commandments be such that I cannot find them or I cannot understand them or cannot appreciate them. How we need God's word. Because there are so many distractions surrounding us. It's gone to verse 21. You've rebuked the proud that are cursed which do err from thy commandments. Sorry. We've missed verse 20. Let's go back to verse 20. My soul breaks for the longing that it has unto thy judgments at all times. You start to get a a sense here of the the emotion. My soul breaks. You know, have you been in those places where you just feel kind of heartbroken almost? You know, as as you look around at people that really care nothing for God's judgments, for his ways... You know, again, we can just easily grow very tired of those that blaspheme God's name, that flout his rules and his laws. And, you know, you don't have to go very far. In fact, just as near as your local newspaper or any newspaper or TV report or anything that that tells you a little bit about what's going on in the world. And you just see how people don't care about God's judgments. Spurgeon, again, said this, God's judgments are his decisions upon points which else had been in dispute. Every precept is a judgment of the highest court upon a point of action, an infallible and immutable decision upon a moral or spiritual question. The word of God is a code of justice from which there is no appeal. I love that. So one day people will get to stand before God and they will have to answer for the way they've lived and the things they've done. But you know, just as Isaiah spoke of, we live in a days where people are calling good evil and evil good. But notice here that it's not the heart that's breaking or the mind alone. It's every faculty to go that goes to make up who I am. It's the very soul itself. My soul breaks for the longing that it has. You know, all that I am is breaking because of this sin-sick world. And yeah, we long for that day, don't we? But even in that longing, there is a hope that there is coming a day. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, I long and I pray because there is coming a day when God's judgments will be seen by everybody. You know, I, I thirst for righteousness now, but that thirst will be satisfied, we're told. We might weep now, but every tear will be wiped away. We might hunger for righteousness, but we shall be filled. Yeah, you know, that's the kind of longing that 
the psalmist here is speaking of. The longing that he has and the God's judgments at all times. And again, when we see how far this world has moved away from God's judgments, I mean, don't we just long for God just to come back and set the record straight? Verse 21, we carry on. Thou hast rebuked the proud of the curse which do err from thy commandments. A man by the name of Joseph Hall made this comment. He said, if the proud escape here, as sometimes they do, hereafter they shall not. For the proud man is an abomination to the Lord, quoting Proverbs 16.5. And he says, God cannot endure him, quoting Psalm 101 verse 5. Spurgeon again says, God rebukes pride even when the multitudes pay homage to it. For he sees in it rebellion against his own majesty and the seeds of yet further rebellions. It is the sum of sin. Of course, we know that it is pride that led Satan to rebel. That was his great downfall in a sense thinking that he was something above his station, wanting a position that wasn't his. Charles Bridges made this comment. He said, Let the histories of Cain, Pharaoh, Haman, Nebuchadnezzar, and Herod exhibit the proud under the rebuke and curse of God. He abhors their person and their offerings. He knows them afar off. He resists them. He scatters them in the imaginations of their hearts. Where's this taking us? Because this is not kind of a, a change of direction. Well, not not at all. Because, you see, we started off this prayer. Lord, please deal bountifully with me so that I can live and so that I can keep thy word. And, and please open my eyes because I want to behold wondrous things out of your law because I know that if I look elsewhere, there are all sorts of distractions and temptations that will pull my heart from you. And it's that, verse 19 again, I'm a stranger in the earth, Lord, I I don't belong here, so please don't hide your commandments from me. And my soul is breaking, when I look around and I see what's going on in this world, it breaks because I want to see your judgments, I want to see people respect you. And it's kind of getting to that place of almost of despair, and then it's, verse 21, thou hast rebuked the proud. That are cursed, which do err from my commandments. It's almost as if the Lord now, the Holy Spirit, just puts on the psalmist's heart just this remembrance of the proud. Because in the midst of his own questioning here, his own appeal to God to help him not to stumble, not to fall, not to become part of this world, the Lord suddenly shows him what it's really like. Sometimes the Lord does that with us. He allows us to see the end game. Okay, you know, you may get tempted by something and then suddenly the Lord will allow you to see where it really truly will lead. Because every temptation is kind of, kind of a, a candy coated, you know, attractive thing. I mean, the whole idea of temptation is that it's gonna allure us, isn't it? That's what temptation is. But of course, when we look at the end of it, when we consider where those temptations lead us, we recognize that we really don't want it. You know, you might sit down, poor analogy probably, but you sit down with six bars of chocolate and it may look very appealing. But you really don't want to be the end of eating all those six bars of chocolates because the feeling you have will not be the one that you really wanted. Poor analogy, but you get the picture, hopefully. Turn with me to Psalm 73 because there's a great parallel to this there. Psalm 73, and we're going to just pick it up in verse 11. And you just think of the game of the people of this world, and that's the idea here. This is actually a psalm of Asaph, one of David's musicians. And verse 11 says, And they say, the world, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Verse 12, Behold, these are ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. 
Verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I think that's exactly where we've got to in Psalm 119 at this point. You you start to look around the world, you see all these people and their scenarios and their lives, that they seem to be okay. But look at verse 17. It was all too painful until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. You know, that's the thing, and that's exactly what we're seeing here in Psalm 119. Going through this kind of uh, emotional journey, and suddenly the Lord says, hang on a minute, look at the proud. Look at the people in this world. Look at what they really have. Do you want it now? (laughs) No, thank you. No, Lord, I want you now. You have rebuked the proud. They are cursed. We do err from thy commandments. It's just reminding again of all that we have. And, you know, why would we want to, for a moment, give that up? Verse 22 then carries on. So, remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Now, there's a a change here, because up until this point, it's been, Lord, help me to keep your word. Help me to go the right way. Help me to understand, to know. But now there's a statement, it's kind of really, almost the resilience, for I have kept thy testimonies. You see, sometimes the, the devil will love to just make us despondent. I remember hearing a little anecdote once, and just, just let me share it with you. The the, the devil was having a, a garage sale, and he had all sorts of things, and there was lust, and there was uh, bitterness, and there was envy, and all sorts of things on the table out front, and people could come and you know take their pick. But right covered up at the back of the garage, there was this one thing. And somebody said, well, what's that? And he said, oh, that's not for sale. I need that one. That, that's very special. And he said, oh, well, come on, come on. You've got all these other things out here. What's that one? He said, no, no, you can't, I can't have that. I need that. And eventually, after being pestered, he took the cover off and it was despondency. Despair. You know, you may be great at overcoming every other temptation, but I guarantee you that's one that will floor you. When you come to a place where you are despondent because of whatever circumstances, that is a tough one. It's really hard. It's interesting that you, you know that throughout history, a lot of the great preachers suffered with depression. Spurgeon was no exception. You know, Satan loves to use those things just to wear us down. He may not be able to get us in any other way, but if he can wear us down, get us that place of thinking, what's the point? I give up. Or because of the reproach and the contempt, make us want to retire from the game. You know, we do get that reproach and that contempt from the world. The world will laugh at us, they'll joke about us, they'll comment about our belief and our faith. Our love for scripture. A lot of that doesn't really worry us too much. But you know, there's, a, there's another side to this that's even harder for us to, to handle. Because I don't think he, it's just that reproach and that contempt. And certainly if this psalm is by David, which it seems to be, you know, you think of what David experienced, the reproach and the contempt from all sorts of people. People laughing at him and cursing him and, and so many other things. But you know, one of the things that hurt David the most was when somebody close to him hurt him. You know, that's one of the biggest challenges. When we get reproach and contempt from people that we love, that we value, that we care about, that's when it becomes really tough. 
But, but notice again the solution to the problem. I've kept thy testimonies. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. It goes on, let's carry on the same thing, verse 23. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. For David, princes would have been those of his own family. It could have been other nations, but we don't really see much from other nations that they were ridiculing or... There's no reproach or contempt so much from other nations, but from within his family. I mean, you think of Absalom as a, as a case in point. You think of Ahithophel, David's best friend and counsellor. Grandfather, I believe, of Bathsheba, though. Wanted to get even. And when Absalom starts his little insurrection, what does Ahithophel do? Well, he turns on David. And that leads us to one of the most emotional few verses in Scripture, in Psalm 55. David says there, verse 12 and 13, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man my equal, my guide and my acquaintance. That's when it really hurts. You know, it's one thing for the world to approach us, but we go through moments in our life and we find that somebody close to us, somebody that we would have wanted to put our trust in or had trusted, that's when it hurts. What's the, the remedy? Well, it's God's word. Look, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. That's our only defense. We talked about earlier. You know, our one defense is Jesus. I just want to read you a couple of quotes. This is from William Cowper. He said this, Perceive here the armor by which David fights against the enemy. His weapons are the word and prayer. He renders not injury for injury, reproach for reproach. It is dangerous to fight against Satan or his instruments with their own weapons, for so they shall easily overcome us. Let us fight with the armor of God, the exercises of the word and prayer. For a man may peaceably rest in his secret chamber, and in these two see the miserable end of all those who are enemies to God's children for God's sake. Yeah, you know, it's something quite quite powerful there, isn't there? You know, how often do we try and fight against Satan using his own weapons? Somebody wrongs us, and what do we try and do? Get even? No, no, no. Let's realize that we've got to go to God. God says, "Vengeance is mine." God will deal with all these things. Another quote. This is from William Struther. This was back in 1633, but he said this: "Thy statutes." Again, just drawing from that line, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. He said, it is impossible to live either Christianly or comfortably without the daily use of scripture. It is absolutely necessary for our direction in all our ways before we begin them and when we have ended them, for the warrant of our approbation of them, for resolving of our doubts and comforting us in our griefs. Without our conscience is a blind guide and leads us in a mist of ignorance, error and confusion. Therein we hear God speaking to us, declaring his goodwill to us concerning our salvation and the way of our obedience to meet him in his goodwill. What book can we read with such profit and comfort? For matter, it is wisdom. For authority is divine and absolute. For majesty, God himself, under common words and letters, expressing an unspeakable power to stamp our heart. Where shall we find our minds so enlightened, our hearts so deeply affected, our conscience so moved, both 
for casting us down and raising us up. I cannot find in all the books of the world such a one speak to me as in scripture with so absolute a conquest of all the powers of my soul. I love that. It was really powerful. You know, God has a, a great way of making rebukes and reproaches and contempt, all those things that can come against us. If there's no basis in them, God has a great way of either removing them or just making their effect of, of no effect. So it doesn't matter who would speak against us, it doesn't matter what. We conclude with verse 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counsellors. We've just really been saying that all the way through this. Another quote from Spurgeon. They were not only themes for meditation, but also sources of delight and means of guidance. While his enemies took counsel with each other, the holy men took counsel with the testimonies of God. If we desire to find comfort in the scriptures, we must submit ourselves to their counsel, and when we follow their counsel, it must not be with reluctance, but with delight. I just love this. You know, we, we're seeing here the first part of what we're going to see a lot as we move on through this psalm. This kind of up and down. This kind of almost getting to that point of giving up. And suddenly the Lord will just do something. Changes our perspective as God so often does. You know, Again, I believe the psalmist, that, that real struggle, you know, I want to serve you, Lord, but there's kind of there's these problems all around me, and suddenly our focus goes and looks at the world, looks at the, what they've got, what they actually really have, and we think, wow, I don't want that, I want God. But then he's kind of mindful of those in the world that have reproached us and have criticized us and attacked us, even maybe people close to us. But you know what, again, it comes back to this one thing that will keep being this recurring theme, and that is God's word is sufficient for everything we need. I encourage you to read ahead next week. By God's grace, we'll carry on. We'll read Dalet. That's the the fourth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, So we're going to go from verse 25 down to 32. So again, you've got eight verses there. If you do one today and one next Sunday as well, there's eight days. Um, Just one a day. Just read it through. Meditate on it. Allow God to speak to you. What we're going to do when we get into October, when we get back into um, Bible studies, we're going to try and look at doing something whereby we can come and share what God is showing you. Because this isn't just about me trying to share the things that are on my heart, but I think we can help each other, encourage each other. So start making little notes. If God reveals things to you, if God shows you things as you're going through, then just make a note of it. Because everything is valid and helpful and we can encourage each other as we walk this walk together. Let's our hearts. Well, Father, once again, we just see how important your word is, Lord, how we need your word to guide us, to lead us, to direct us, to to impact our thinking, Lord, in a way that, Lord, is far beyond just information, but, Lord, that changes our hearts and minds, Lord, that changes the way that we want to live. Lord, we recognize that your word is truth, and we thank you for it. But, Father, we also recognize that there are many temptations, there are many pulls and the world is so alluring at times so lord just give us a a love for your word and a hatred for everything that is not of you oh jesus we just long for that time when we will be able to sit at your feet and you will teach us lord even things that we've not yet seen in your word you will show us but lord for now for each day lord just give us the grace to walk by faith and not by sight for we ask it in jesus precious name Amen.